if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd like you to turn to the book of Romans chapter 5. The book of Romans chapter 5. You know, I mentioned last night that one of the attacks of the enemy against us as a child of God, uh, individually and also corporately, is to minimize the cross. Is to minimize it. When I say the cross, and I know you know this, but I'll just say this just in case. But I'm not talking about a wooden beam, of course. And I'm not talking about a crucifix around our neck or on a wall somewhere. That's, that's superstition. That's idolatry. So I'm not talking about that when I say the cross. But I'm talking about what Jesus did for us at the cross. And the great work that he accomplished for us at the cross in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. It was a great work, but one of the main attacks of the enemy against us individually and corporately is to minimize what Jesus has accomplished, to make it seem as if it is insignificant, to make it seem as if it is irrelevant in our time and in our life individually. That's always been the attack of the enemy, and I think it is very much an attack of the enemy against the church today, the last day's church, to minimize the cross. But you know what? The Bible doesn't do that. The Word of God magnifies the cross. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit magnifies Jesus, magnifies what he's done for us at Calvary. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I said he magnifies the cross. And if the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. If the Bible magnifies the cross, and if the Holy Ghost magnifies the cross, then I as a preacher need to magnify the cross. I need to lift up the finished work of Calvary. I need to emphasize the finished work of what Jesus did for us. It needs to be an emphasis to magnify it. You know, every epistle that Paul wrote, Paul magnified what Jesus did for us at Calvary. Again, the whole Bible does. But specifically, as I'll be dealing with this morning, the epistles of Paul magnified the cross, of course, explained it, detailed it. This morning I want to deal with Romans chapter 5 in particular because Romans chapter 5 deals with it and magnifies the cross in a way that's a little bit different than maybe any other chapter in the Bible. Romans chapter 5 is referred to sometimes as the much more chapter of the Bible. Can you say those words from this morning, much more? One more time. Much more. One more time. Much more. And what Paul, that's right, amen. You know what God, what Paul did in this fifth chapter, as we'll be going through this morning, is seeing how much more the price that Jesus paid for us than was the penalty of sin that was against us. Because that's what Paul emphasizes in general in this fifth chapter. He shows us that our justification that we receive through the blood of Jesus is much 
more than the condemnation that was against us because of sin. Much more. Oh, come on now. Much more. The price that Jesus paid, the price that he paid for us at Calvary to pay off our sin debt is much more. Much more. And we're going to be taking a look at that this morning, the five much mores of Romans chapter 5. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for another opportunity, Lord, to study your word and to know you, Jesus. Lord, our prayer is that of, Lord, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1, that, Lord, the cross and what you've done for us at Calvary would be clearly portrayed among us, that it would be made real to us, Lord. Lord, help us to see you, Jesus, this morning. Lord, help us to see all that you've done for us, Lord. And we just ask you for revelation, knowledge, and anointing to minister, and your anointing to receive. And we say it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. If you're in Romans chapter 5 this morning, give me a good amen. Amen. In Romans chapter 5, and I'm just going to go through this briefly as as a way of review from the very beginning, Paul uses those words much more in verse 9, in verse 10, in verse 15, verse 17, and verse 20. Five times the words much more. And again, the basic message that Paul is portraying with those words is again that our justification that we receive the cross is greater, it's much more than the condemnation that was against us because of sin. It's much more. The price that he paid was much more than the sin debt that was against us. You know, this is so important. Understanding this fifth chapter of Romans, I've I've realized this over the years and just recently as God has really laid it upon my heart, I've seen how important this is in my own walk with God and in the lives of of you as as a child of God as well. To understand this truth of how much more the cross is. And why is that? It's because in life, as you and I travel through life, and as you and I go through the sanctification process. Do we have any here this morning that are in the sanctification process? As you and I are in that sanctification process, and we have our own stinking rotten flesh on the inside to deal with. And we've got the devil on the outside to deal with. And we've got the world on the outside to deal with. And we've got some of this sometimes, no, 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 on the inside. And some of this on the outside at times. And we have a lot of things that seem to be against us. And sometimes while we're in the process, it can seem as if that which is against us is much more than what we have for us. I'm just being real. But it can seem as if our own flesh is much more than the spirit. It can seem as if the the tug and and the struggle is much more than the provision. It can feel that way. It can seem that way. It can appear that way. 
while we're going through the process. But one of the things that we've got to know, and I say know it, and know it, know it like we know our name, and believe it with all of our heart, that the provision that Jesus made for us at Calvary is much more. It's a much more provision. That it doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter what it looks like in the natural. It doesn't matter what the devil's saying. It doesn't matter what sister so-and-so's saying. It doesn't matter what my own flesh is saying. The cross is much more. Oh, glory to God. Much more. Much more. It's an overflowing much more. And in this fifth chapter of Romans, Paul emphasizes that great truth. And I want to begin with the first one and look at Romans chapter. We're going to begin in Romans chapter 5 and verses 8 and 9. And Paul says, but God commends his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. This is the first much more that Paul gave in this fifth chapter. He says in verse eight, he says, but God commends, or the word commends could be translated as the word demonstrated, that God demonstrated and demonstrates his love toward us. And that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's a powerful truth. I don't want to just skip on by because it's connected to the much more of verse 9. And it sets the, the foundation for the first much more. That you and I, as a sinner, did not deserve, we don't deserve anything that God gives us. And Paul lets us know that God demonstrated his own love towards us. That the cross is the demonstration of God's love for us. I was reading Kenneth Wiest in a, one of his, well, the, the commentary that he wrote and, and uh, what he said on this, state, on this verse some time ago. And I like what he said. He said words to this effect. That in that statement in the, the, the Greek tense voice and mood of the verbs in, chap, in chapter 5 verse 8. It indicates that there is a constant flow of the love of God to us as sinners that flows from the cross. And what he was implying or saying is that the love of God that was manifested to us at the cross was not just a past thing and that's it. But there is a constant river of the love of God that flows from Calvary. A constant river. He loves us. He loves you. Hallelujah. I said he loves you this morning. And the idea is if, if he loved you while you were a sinner before you knew him, then how much more does he love you now that you are his child? Oh, glory. 
I know that's a very simple truth, and some even refer to that as Sunday school theology. But never get beyond that. He loves me. He loves me. He loves you today. And Paul showed that the cross is the demonstration of God's love for us. And he manifested his love for us, he said, while we were sinners. Sin is disobedience against God. And Paul, as he teaches here in Romans 5, and as he'll deal with in Romans 6 as well, shows us that through Adam's fall, every one of us have received not just sinful acts, but we have received a sin nature. We were born in sin and we have received a sinful nature. And so our being has become infected with sin, a nature to sin. So we're sinful from head to toe. We've been affected by sin, spirit, soul, and body, disobedience against God. And that is our very nature on the inside. But yet with a sin nature, one that is in a disobedience against God, God still loved us. And he still does. And Paul says in verse 9, he says, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And the idea is this. When you and I accepted Jesus into our hearts to be our Savior and Lord, at that moment, he says, we were justified. Justified by his blood. Justification means to legally declare righteous in the eyes of God. This morning, if you believe in Jesus, if you believe in what he's done for you at the cross and he's cleansed you from your sin, then you are justified this morning. Legally declared righteous in the eyes of God, just as if you've never sinned. Hallelujah. <laughs> it's one of them, it's a, oh, it's a powerful truth, just as if you've never sinned by faith. The moment you believed, in that moment, boom, you didn't hear a voice, most likely. Maybe you did, but probably not. But you didn't hear a voice, but at that moment, God declared you righteous in his sight. And get this, just as if you never sinned, but also just as if you always obeyed. Oh boy, I didn't have thought about that. Just as if I never sinned, but it's also just as if you always obeyed. What God did at that moment, he placed on your account, on our account, the righteousness of his son Jesus. On our account. We were bankrupt before, but in a moment, our account went from being bankrupt to be overflowing with the righteousness of Jesus. And you and I were placed into Christ Jesus. We were justified. This morning, if you know Jesus, you are justified. And Paul said, now being justified, and that, what that indicates is that, that doesn't indicate that you're half justified or 90% justified, but you are all justified. Every, every part, we're not, we are 100% justified, righteous in the eyes of God. And Paul says, 
Being now justified, he said, we shall be saved from the wrath to come. The point that Paul is making with his first much more. If God loved us when we were sinners, but then we accepted his wonderful sacrifice for us at Calvary, and he, and we, and he, and he justified us. Again, he didn't justify righteous people. He justified unrighteous people. We were unrighteous. We were sinners disobedient against God. That's the people that he saved. That's the people that he justifies. He doesn't justify righteous people. He justifies sinners. And if he justified sinners like you and I, and we now have been justified, Paul says, then how much more Will you be saved from wrath? How much more will you be saved from his wrath? And I have to go through this somewhat quickly, but the wrath that he's talking about there in verse 9 is the wrath ultimately of hell and of the lake of fire. And Paul's making the point that if he justified you while you and I were a sinner, and, but now you're justified, then how much more are you going to be saved from wrath to come? It's a very simple point. The point is this. You ain't going to hell. I know it's a very simple point, and sometimes we, we kind of move right on by that, but understand this, now that you've been justified, and, and again, God justified us while we were sinners, then how much more, he said? How much more? And the idea of much more here is not just greater, but it is a certainty that if you and I continue to believe, we will never, ever, 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 ever experience his wrath. As long as you and I continue to believe, we'll never experience hell. We'll never experience the lake of fire. And again, I know it's a simple thing, but if you believe in Jesus, you're not going to hell anymore. You're going to heaven. You're not going to the lake of fire in Revelation chapter 20, and you can rub that in the devil's face. Devil, you ain't got me no more. I ain't going to hell. I'm going to heaven. Hallelujah. Hey, take that. Snap. Right? Take that, devil. I ain't going to hell. You ain't taking me to hell. I'm not going to experience the wrath of God. I'm not going to the lake of fire. I'm going to heaven. Mm. Because if he justified me while I was a sinner, now that, I'm a, now that I'm his child, now that I'm righteous, that I am certainly going to heaven now. The second much more I want to deal with now is in verse 10. Look at verse 10. He says, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, he says, Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. This is the second much more that Paul gives us. And what we see in this passage, and really verses 8 and 9 is connected really to verse 10 here, 
And we see it in verse 8 that we are a sinner. One who is disobedient against God. But here in verse 10, Paul adds to that and says that not only are we sinners, or were we sinners before we knew Jesus, but we were enemies of God. Now that puts the sinner in a little bit different light. And it puts the sinner really not in a good light, does it? It's not a politically correct or religiously correct light. Well, you're really not that bad of a person. You're, you're, a, you're a nice person and Jesus will make you better. No. You as a, as a sinner, one who does not believe in Jesus, is not just not a friend of God and not just not a child of God, but is an enemy of God. An enemy of God. One who stands in opposition to God. You see, in the eyes of God, if you don't believe, it's not being indifferent towards God. In the eyes of God, there is no such thing as just simply being indifferent. There are a lot of people in this world, and even in the church, that try to take that stand as if they're just going to ride the fence. You know what I'm talking about? Just ride the fence. I'm, I'm just indifferent. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I believe in God that there is a God, but I really, don't, I really don't believe it all the way. Well, there is no such thing as being indifferent. Either you believe or you don't believe. In the eyes of God, you're either a friend of God and his child, or you are his enemy. And the result of Adam's fall caused man to be an enemy of God. But Paul says this in verse 10. He says, again, uh, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Let's stop right there. When you and I expressed faith in Jesus and we believed in him, Paul uses that word reconciled. Reconciliation to describe what happened to us. In verse 9, he used the word justified, that you and I were declared righteous in his sight. Now he uses the word reconciled to describe what happened to us. The word reconciled means to literally to exchange one thing for another. That's what it means. You follow me this morning? You hear? To exchange one thing for another. And the idea is this, is that when you and I received Jesus, God gave us his righteousness and took our sin. Our enmity against him because of our sinfulness was exchanged with his peace. Again, he took our sin and he gave us his righteousness. Hallelujah. He took our failure and gave us his victory. Mm. I like exchanges like that. Amen. <laughs> give me your dollar and I'll give you a hundred dollars. That's a pretty nice exchange, right? Well, in the spiritual, God took our bankruptcy and gave us his riches. 
there was an exchange that took place in a spiritual second. That's why salvation is the greatest miracle that ever took place in your life. Oh, you see what Paul's doing? Paul's magnifying the cross. He's magnifying. It's much more, much more. He took your failure. He took it, and he gave you his victory. Here, give give me your sin. Give give me your sin, and I'll give you my, my, my righteousness. You give me your impurity. Give me your impurity, and I'll give you my purity. Give me your failure, and I'll give you my victory. Mm. Oh, you can rub that in the devil's face, too. Hallelujah. You can give him your spiritual poverty, and he'll give you his riches. Mm. He takes what we have and gives us what he has. Reconciliation to exchange We were an enemy of God, but now, through the blood of Jesus and by our faith in what he did for us, now we are friends of God. We are the child and child of God. Mm. I know that those words sometimes go in and because we're so familiar, but think about it this morning. You were an enemy of God, but now you're a friend of God. Now you're his child. You've been adopted into the family. God's placed on your account the inheritance of his son, Jesus. On your account. You weren't even in the family. But now you're in the family. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. He's given He's figuratively, he's given you his name. And, and, and oh, get this, he's even put into you his DNA. He's put into you his Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. You see, in the natural, in the natural, when one is adopted, and I'm, I didn't plan on dealing with adoption here, but when you, when one, in the natural, when one is adopted, it can only go so far, right? A person can be adopted and praise God for adoption, good adoption, but that child will receive the last name right of the adopted parents for, in most cases. That child will re- be raised in that family's house of the new parents, and, the, and, and they will be his parents or her parents. They'll be as if, as if he did come from But get this, in the natural, there's always the DNA of his physical parents. But get this, in the spiritual, it's not that case. In the spiritual, you and I receive the spiritual DNA of God. We become partakers of the divine nature. Hallelujah. Oh, my Lord. But Paul Paul said this. I got to hurry. But Paul said this in verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. He said, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Mm. We were enemies, but God loved us so much, he gave us himself at Calvary. We accepted him by faith. He reconciled. Now we are a friend of God. We're a child of God. We are reconciled with God. And that is what we are now. If he did that to us when we were enemies and sinners, 
He says, how much more now that you are reconciled is he going to save you by his life? Now that statement there in verse 10, be, you, we shall be saved by his life. It can be somewhat confusing, but, but get to some of what that is really meaning. When, we, when, when Paul uses the word saved there, by his life, he's really talking about being sanctified by his life's blood. Get that this morning. If he reconciled us when we were enemies, now that we are reconciled, he's saying this, you and I shall be sanctified by that same blood. And that life that you and I will receive, that sanctifying work that comes from the life's blood of Jesus, it is a much more, much more, now that we are reconciled to God, how much more will you and I be sanctified by that same life's blood of Jesus? Think about it for a moment. Again, he gave us his own self. He shed his blood for us when we were sinners. Now that you've accepted that sacrifice, this is the point Paul's made, how much more is that same blood that was given to you while, we were, while you were a sinner, how much more is that going to supply life to you and victory to you and peace to you and joy to you and victory again to you now that you've received him? It is much more going to be supplied, much more. There's an overflowing supply that comes from the life blood of Jesus. Get this, the same blood that saved you is the same blood that will sanctify you. Hallelujah. And there is a much more supply of victory that comes from the sacrifice from the blood of Jesus. Much more, much more, much more, much more. How much more will you be saved by his life? The third much more that Paul gave us in this passage is in verse 15. If you're there, say amen. And Paul says, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded unto many. Now, I understand that the words in verse 15 in the King James can, can sometimes be confusing, but I want to give you the, the point of what Paul is saying there in verse 15. In verse 15, Paul is, talks about the offense, the offense of one speaking of Adam, speaking about the sin, the sin of Adam that, and how great that sin was. You see, when Adam sinned, there was a penalty attached to it, and that penalty was what? Death. And you and I 
as a part of, as a part of the human race, as coming from, from Adam, you and I came under that same penalty, death. That was the penalty of sin, sin and death. Death is the penalty. And so when Jesus died on the cross, that's the debt that Jesus paid by his perfect death. He paid for us the sin debt that was owed to God. You see, there was a debt that was owed to God because of sin. And that debt was not owed to the devil because the devil's never done anything for us but hurt us. It wasn't owed to some other man or woman. It wasn't owed to us. It was owed to God. Man offended God. Man broke God's laws. He disobeyed God, and so that penalty, or that payment, I should say, was owed to God. But in John 19 and verse 30, Oh, one of the most awesome statements, or if not the most awesome statement that's ever been made, when Jesus was on that cross in John 19, 30, do you know what it says? He says, it is finished. <laughs> in Spanish, it's consumado es, right? Consumado, it's been consummated. It is finished, hallelujah. And those words that is finished literally mean the sin debt has been paid. Oh, the debt that you and I have to take it personally this morning. Forget about your neighbor right now. Think it right, right now. The debt that Jesus paid, he paid it for you. He paid your debt because you were in debt to God because of sin. But Jesus loved you so much that he paid your debt at the cross. Mm. It is finished. Now the point that Paul is making in verse 15 is this. is that Jesus' payment, and Paul refers to it as his gift of grace. He's talking about really what, what, what Jesus was and what he was at the cross. He was God's gift of grace to us. Grace is what we don't deserve. We didn't deserve the payment that he made for us at Calvary. We couldn't merit it. We can't earn it. It was a free gift. The price that he paid was a free gift to us. Not free to him because he paid it with his life. He died for us, his perfect death. But it was free to us. It was a gift of grace. And he was speaking of the payment that Jesus made for us at Calvary. And again, the point that Paul's making in verse 15 is this, is that the payment that Jesus made at the cross for us was much more than the debt that we owed to God. Well, I'm going to say it again because I know it's, it's, not, it's not getting through. Or maybe it is. That the, that the price that Jesus paid at the cross was much more than the debt that we owed to God. Let me say it this way. The price that Jesus paid with his 
perfect life, his perfect death, he was the perfect sacrifice, was an overpayment. <laughs> it was an overpayment of what we owed to God. It was much more. Adam fell, he sinned, and you and I sinned. And we're in debt to God. But the price that he paid was much more than we owed to God. And God placed again on our bankrupt account. He took our bankruptcy. He gave gave us his righteousness. And when he placed his righteousness on our account, he didn't just fill it up to zero. No, 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 no. He overflowed our account with his righteousness, with his victory, hallelujah, with his peace. That's why Paul could say in Philippians chapter 4, 19, that my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Riches. And he's placed on your account his riches. Why? It's because he overpaid. It's a much more payment. His gift of grace is much more. Oh, my Lord, you and I need to see that, need to realize that on an everyday basis. He's much more, and focus on that, much more. Your gift is much more. Your grace is much more. Your victory is much more. Your peace is much more. Your love is much more. Your love is greater than my hatred. Your forgiveness is greater than my unforgiveness. Your faithfulness is greater than my unfaithfulness. You are greater. You're much more. Now that in itself should, and does not give us a license to sin. But you and I are to focus on the goodness of God that's been provided for us through the cross. It's a much more payment. Mm. The next much more that Paul gives us in this passage, the fourth one, is in verse 17. Romans 5, 17. And Paul says, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, he says, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Again, for if by one man's offense death reigned by one. Let's stop there for a moment. Paul, like he did in the previous verses, is showing us what we had as a result of sin. And, and the fall of man. We were, we were sinners. We were enemies of God. We had a sin debt to God that we could not pay. But God loved us so much that he gave us himself and he paid the debt for us. But now Paul would say this, that through Adam's fall, through sin, he said death reigned over our life. And the word reign means to have dominion over. Death had dominion over our life. Now death 
is really, it does not mean that we are non-existent. It just means that there is no spiritual life in us at all. Before we were saved, it didn't matter what we looked like on the outside. It, didn't, it doesn't matter how popular a person is. It doesn't matter how good they, again, they appear on the outside. Death reigns over that individual. There is no life, no spiritual life at all to the person who doesn't know God through Jesus Christ. No life at all. No death reigns. Again, I'm going to emphasize the point. It doesn't matter what one looks like on the outside. It doesn't matter if they help the old lady across the street. It doesn't matter if they're a good Mormon. It doesn't matter if they're a good Roman. It doesn't matter if they're good this or good that. It does not matter. If they have not surrendered their life to Jesus, Paul says death reigns. Death reigns. But Paul says this. If death reigned over our life before we knew Christ, but now we have accepted the abundance of grace, that, that undeserved gift of Jesus at the cross, and we've accepted that. And now we are a child of God. Now we are saved. He says this in verse 17, then much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Death reigned in our life, but you've accepted Christ. You're living by faith in what Christ did for you at Calvary. He said this, much more you shall reign over death by what Christ did for you at Calvary. You shall reign, he said, in life through Christ. Death reigned over you, but now because of the blood of Jesus, you now reign over death. It's interesting, that's right. It's interesting the statement that Paul made in verse 17. He said, much more they, that's you today. Have you received the abundance of his grace today? Have you received him by faith? Are you living by faith today in the sacrifice of Christ and his performance and not your own? Well, he said this then, how much more will you reign over death? Death used to reign over you, but now because of the shed blood of Jesus, now you in Christ, you reign over death. In Christ, now you reign over death. Yes, he is under my feet. He's under my feet. Hallelujah. Satan is under my feet. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus. Now you will reign over death. Mm, Just like David when he put his foot over the neck of Goliath. You are defeated. Death, you are defeated by the blood of Jesus. And now I, as a child of God, reign over you 
because of the sacrifice of Christ. Mm. Death, I reign over you because of Jesus. Satan, I reign over you because of Jesus. Sickness, I reign over you because of Christ. To every lying spirit, I reign over you through the blood of Jesus. There is true dominion spiritually through Christ. Dominion over death, dominion over Satan, dominion over every spirit of hell that would come against us. Dominion. And he said, how much more will you reign over death in life through Christ? How much more? It's a much more reign. Your reign over death through Christ is a greater reign than death had over you. That's how wonderful the sacrifice of Christ was. And then finally, the last much more that Paul gave us in Romans 5. In verse 20, Paul said, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. The word offense again there means sin. That man's sinfulness might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Oh, I love that verse. Hallelujah. Oh, I love that verse. And I had to go through it somewhat quickly here. But when Paul said, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. And the offense there is speaking of man's sin nature on the inside, his sinfulness, the sinfulness of our own heart, the sin nature that's within us. Paul said, God gave to man through Israel, through the Jews, he gave man the law in order to show man his abounding sinfulness. Now, that doesn't create a nice, pretty picture of man either. (laughs) It doesn't create a politically correct picture of man as well. Man is not just a nice guy or nice, we're not just nice people that through the cross we're going to become nicer or better. No, 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 that's not it. He said he gave the law that the sinfulness of man, he said, might abound. Again, God gave the law as a mirror to show us that we were sinners in need of a savior. And we we say that we say it this, some, this way sometimes. Have you ever lied? Oh, I've never lied, Brother Bob. I've never lied. Well, you're lying. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever murdered someone? Well, not in the natural, but... Well, have you ever had thoughts in your heart that you, you wanted to throw that coworker under the bus? <laughs> Oh, guilty. Have you ever, have you ever coveted it? Have you ever lusted for something that was not yours, but you wanted it for yourself out of your own selfish, greedy heart? Have you ever committed adultery? Well, Jesus said if you did it in your heart, you've done it. It's already done. So that, by, by that right there, we're a liar, 
We're an adulterer. We're a murderer. We're a thief. And we are guilty before God. And God gave the law, he said, that the offense might abound to show us how sinful we are and how much we need a Savior. But he said this, that where sin abounded, and the word abounded means that it, there's a, it, it doesn't just mean, it's, it's a picture of a cup, and it doesn't just mean that the cup is half full. It means that the cup is totally full, and it's, it's overflowed the brim. Our sinfulness abounds. Get that? To show us how much our sin abounds in us. But he said this, that where sin abounded, his grace did much more abound. Hallelujah. Much more abound in his grace here. Oh, his grace speaks of his, uh, his unmerited favor given to us through the cross. His grace is his goodness, God's goodness given to undeserving people through the cross. His grace can be thought of here as his saving grace and even his sanctifying grace. That unearned, unmerited, undeserved work of the Holy Spirit in our life changing us into the image of Jesus Christ. That's his abounding grace. Grace working and reigning in us. He said where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And those words much more in this verse here, it's a different word used in the prior verses and it means this, that his grace super abounds. Whereas sin overflowed, grace overflows the overflow. <laughs> Hallelujah. Grace, his riches, his undeserved goodness, and all the benefits of the cross, they overflow our sinfulness. Overflow. God's grace is greater I said it's greater, and it's not just a little bit greater. It's a whole lot greater. Where sin abounds, his grace does much more abound, much more, overflowing, overflowing victory over my sin, overflowing peace over my unrest overflowing righteousness over my unrighteousness, overflowing joy over my lack of joy, overflowing, again, victory over my failure, overflowing, overflowing. You need to see the cross that way. It overflows, overflows, overflows. <laughs> Lord, you've given me an abundant supply. You didn't just make my account zero. You put in my account your riches. Much more abound. Much more abound. Again, as we go through life, it will seem at times like 
what Satan is doing against us, the spiritual warfare that we encounter at times. It will seem at times like our own flesh is greater than the supply that God's given to us through the cross. But that is a lie. Don't go by feeling. Go by faith. And go by what God has said in his word. His supply, his gift, his grace, his righteousness, his victory is much more than what's against us. There are more who be for you than those who are against you. If God be for you, then who can be against you? Hallelujah. Oh, glory. It's a much more, much more, much more, much more. Thank you, Lord, for the much more. I thank you for the much more. There's no reason for you and I to live, go through this life, again, like we've been sucking lemons and we've been baptizing vinegar. No reason for us to go through this life as if we're, oh, I don't have a hope in the world. Oh, I'm one of, uh, yeah, I'm one of those Christians. Oh, woe is me. The world sees that too much. But we have been given a much more sacrifice. Hallelujah. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Life and life more abundantly. Hallelujah. Start living on the abundance. Start living on the much more. Hallelujah. He's overpaid our debt. I said he's overpaid our debt. You'll never run the riches of Christ out. You never, he will never run out. There's always a supply. Thank you, Lord. Can we just thank him right now? God, we just thank you for that much more gift, the much more supply of your power, the much more supply of your grace, of your victory at the cross. It's much more. We thank you, Lord. And God, we just ask that you would continually to make this real to us. And we thank you, Lord. In our hearts, there's a thankfulness on the inside. We magnify and we praise you, dear God, for that much more gift of yourself at Calvary. Oh, Lord, and we say it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Oh, put your hands together. Let's praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.